Now, you mentioned the NIST, which is an agency under the U.S. Department of Commerce, and which this July released a much-awaited collection of standardized PQC algorithms it claims are designed to withstand the assault of a quantum computer. So why was this announcement so important to the development and application of PQC technology? The uh, importance of uh, NIST announcement cannot be overemphasized, because in such a complex system where we have uh, many algorithms, and most people don't really have an idea, you know, which algorithm to use. Are they secure? Some algorithms may seem uh, very attractive because they're very efficient, they're easy to implement, but how do I know that it's secure? This is Startup Island Taiwan, the channel all about cutting-edge technology, influential global tech layers, and Taiwan. Hello, and welcome back to Startup Island Taiwan. I'm your host, Jeremy Olivier. Today, we're taking an in-depth look at the world of post-quantum cryptography, or PQC for short, a technology with profound implications for the future of cybersecurity and data encryption, particularly for blockchain-based digital assets such as cryptocurrencies. Quantum computers, which adopt the properties of subatomic particles and use Shor's algorithm to solve with astounding speed complex computational problems, have potential game-changing uses in areas such as pharmaceutical discovery, AI, and big data analysis. However, if used by malicious actors, they also pose enormous risks to the economic and national security of countries around the world. While no such computer yet exists, and no one quite knows when exactly one will, researchers, governments, and businesses continue to edge closer to a breakthrough meaning that the need to prepare information security systems to respond to the threat of this technology inevitably falling into the wrong hands is an increasingly pressing one. With me to discuss and break down this very technical and difficult to understand, yet nonetheless incredibly important topic, is Deng Zhenmo, the chief scientific officer of BTQ, a quantum technology company focused on securing the digital asset class. Though the company is spread across several jurisdictions globally, much of its leadership team is based in Taiwan, which in March this year pledged to invest 8 billion new Taiwan dollars in quantum technology R&D. In September, BTQ announced a long-term collaboration with Taiwan's semi-official Industrial Technology Research Institute, or ETRI, to develop energy-efficient solutions for applications in blockchain, telecom, and other industries with a need for long-term data security. Now, before we get started, a quick disclaimer that I am currently working in a part-time consulting capacity with BTQ. And with that now out of the way, Junmo, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So let's just start off with a little background about yourself. How did you come to be involved in quantum tech and what attracted you to the work that BTQ is doing in this field? Yeah, it was from a long time ago when I was still a PhD student. At that time, I was actually working on a different field. My thesis was actually about the wireless networking on uh, drones. At that time, it was, I guess, not uh, yet a big thing. Uh, but then uh, one of the summers, I think, two of my old friends uh, from college time, they started a company actually at that time working on post-content crypto. And then they offered me an internship in Taipei. I figured, why not? You know, <laughs> I get to uh, go home, you know, see my family and friends while working for the summer. Uh, that's how I started. And then I realized that it's quite fascinating. It combines uh, physics, mathematics, and computer science, and how we're engineering all that wide spectrum of aspects. And then it's really challenging. So I told myself, hmm, this is something that I definitely want to pursue even as a career. So I started to think about that at that time. And after that, I graduated. I got a job at the National Taiwan University where I kind of became independent. I had no boss. I can decide what to work on. Then I decided, hmm, it's time for me to uh, work 100% time on this uh, post-quantum cryptography. And uh, again, along with uh, two old friends of mine, uh, we did uh, a lot of work back. That was uh, 2007, 15 
15 years ago. So um, it was quite uh, accidental, I would say. I didn't expect this at the beginning. And then uh, after more than 10 years in academia, then I started to feel that, okay, so maybe it's time to try something different because, you know, I've seen how it works in academia. I still love to do research, but sometimes I feel that uh, it might take very long time to see any impact of whatever I was working on. Uh, so I feel that mm, maybe I should try, uh, you know, startups. And then friends around me, a lot of them were talking about blockchains at that time. And somehow, through a formal student of mine, uh, I got connected to Nick, one of the founders. Nick refers to Nicholas Rusi Newton, uh, who is the chief operations officer at BTQ. Uh, that was, uh, I think, four or five years ago. And then we started uh, brainstorming and then you know, have this idea cooked for a couple of months. And then uh, eventually I decided, hmm, it's a good idea. So as far as I can see, it's a great way to bring what we've been working on for more than 10 years to practice, to uh, bring some impact to the real world. Then after a few, I guess after some more work, we founded BTQ. It was just a company that existed on paper. It then took us a lot more work to bring it into existence um, setting up an office in Taipei, you know, recruiting, getting all these talents, everything. Yeah, so I'm happy to see all this happening. And that's also the reason why I decided to leave uh, academia around April earlier this year uh, and join BTQ full time as the chief scientific officer. So from wireless networks to post-quantum cryptography and from academia to a startup setting, it's quite the big change. Yes. So for listeners who, like myself, don't have much exposure to the world of quantum computing or post-quantum cryptography, can you provide a high-level explanation of what the technology is and what it means for the security of digital assets? Sure. Uh, that's a very good question. So first, I want to clarify a little bit. We do most of our work on post-quantum crypto, uh, which is related to quantum computing, but not exactly the same. So I guess uh, at a high level, especially for the general audience, I would say that we tend to think of quantum computing as uh, bad guys, so as the adversary. It's not that there's anything wrong, anything evil with the technology itself. I mean, technology is mostly neutral. But if it falls into the, the hands of some bad guys, they can do a lot of harm to the good guys. And post-quantum crypto is a way to defend against such attacks. So defend against adversaries, uh, bad guys, with access to a quantum computer, to a powerful quantum computer. Because uh, as Jeremy has pointed out in the opening, there are uh, efficient algorithms that can break the crypto that we use. Not all of them, but some of the most important crypto that we're using today in a split of a second. So that's really powerful. And uh, as Jeremy has pointed out again, we don't know when this will happen. But given that a lot of governments and companies that are investing heavily on quantum computing technology, who knows? It can be five years, 10 years, maybe 20, 30. But that's not the point. The point is that we want to be prepared. So at a very high level, that's what we're working on. So we're developing all these new crypto that can uh, resist attacks from large quantum computers once they become reality. Hey, thank you for that bird's eye explanation of the technology. I feel like I'm a little bit smarter now <laughs> for having heard that. So beyond the blockchain, PQC has potential uses in a number of other areas. Can you briefly discuss some of these? Sure. Um, I mean, uh, blockchains are our first target, but it's not the only target. Uh, it's, of course, very important. Also, emerging technology, we are moving to this uh, new world. Uh, one of the analogies I like to use is that once we discover fire, uh, it's really difficult to go back and eat, uh, you know, raw meats. So 
now that we have discovered blockchains and the, the power of all this automation, all these uh, decentralized applications, it's very difficult to imagine going back to the uh, you know pre-blockchain time where caveman era. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's certainly a very important target, but it's not the only one. In fact, uh, according to National Institute of Standards and Technology of the United States, we need to replace all the crypto or the uh, public key crypto that we use today with PQC to prepare ourselves against potential attacks from quantum computers in the future. In fact, even though we don't know when quantum computers will become reality, so this whole work, this whole process of replacing existing public crypto with post-quantum crypto takes a lot of time and effort. So we need to start today. That's the message actually uh, sent out by President Biden earlier this year. Uh, it's really important that we get started early so we can have ample time. We can get prepared when it happens. So for that matter, we're talking about everything. It's like uh, we need to go in, replace all the pipes in our apartment, right? So that apparently takes a long time. Anything that involves communication, transmission over some wireless or wired media, we need to replace the public key crypto there with PQC. So, for example, recently there have been several reports on hackers hacking into your car remotely and try to do something nasty there. And there, certainly, we would also need PQC. That's one big uh, area. And internet connection, of course, you know, needless to say, we need to replace all these uh, HTTPS. We need to secure all these HTTPS transactions with PQC. So nowadays we live in a world where there are processors, there are tiny little computers here and there in your refrigerator, in your TV, you know, everywhere. Whenever they talk, we need to secure that with a crypto that's resistant to quantum computers attack. Because from an adversary's viewpoint, they will always try to attack the weakest link, right? That's how they get into your house. And therefore... Uh, on the defender side, we need to make sure that all sides of our house are secure, right? So that the adversary cannot find the weakest link. That means we need to replace everything with PQC. It's actually good news for me because that means job security uh, for post-quantum cryptographers like myself. But it's also a daunting task because think about it. We need to replace all the pipes. That's a lot of work, right? So that's also why we want to uh, have a startup focusing on developing this side. We want to be part of the solution. We want to contribute to the effort, but we're only a small player here. So an area with many opportunities for people that are researching this area, but also incredibly challenging in just the scale of what needs to be encrypted or protected. Exactly. Now, you mentioned the NIST, which is an agency under the U.S. Department of Commerce, and which this July released a much-awaited collection of standardized PQC algorithms it claims are designed to withstand the assault of a quantum computer. So why was this announcement so important to the development and application of PQC technology? The uh, importance of uh, NIST announcement cannot be overemphasized because in such a complex system where we have uh, many algorithms and most people don't really have an idea you know which algorithm to use are they secure some algorithms may seem uh, very attractive because they're very efficient they're easy to implement but how do i know that it's secure so someone has to do the work someone has to analyze evaluate the security of all these algorithms and nist is taking a leadership in this direction and that's why this announcement is very important and it helps all these companies or this industry so that we can get prepared. Basically, we don't need to 
go out and read thousands of academic papers, try to understand what is this all about, you know, which algorithm is the best, which algorithm is secure. We can now rely on NIST's work. Actually, NIST is kind of the leader in this project. It also uses help from academia, from scholars all over the world, thousands of them. Uh, working for six years, at least, in this process. And finally, they've come up with a very concrete recommendation and so that the industry and startups like us, we can follow this guideline and try to replace the pipes uh, in our apartments, again, using the same analogy. So I, I guess that's the value of having some standard. Uh, not to mention that uh, when we try to use PQC to secure some communication, it's a communication. It means that there are at least two parties involved. We have to speak the same language, right? So we have to have a standard. We have to agree on which algorithm to use. And without NIST, things would be a bit more chaotic. And by the way, NIST is by no means the only standardization body that's working on this. I think they are taking a leadership here, but many other standardization bodies like ISO, like the European, I think ISO is affiliated with UN and there's some European equivalent and also Chinese, Japanese, maybe even Taiwanese standard body, they will follow suit. They will try to come up with a similar standard along this direction. Now, you mentioned one of the challenges with um, the algorithms that are being developed over this period of six years, which is that some may be very attractive and easy to implement, but may not be the most secure. What are some of the other challenges now that we do have this set of standardized algorithms? So the highest priority for NIST is to select some secure algorithm, which makes sense. Certainly, we don't want an encryption algorithm that's easily broken, right? Therefore, I should say that this is actually an art. It's not an exact science. It's not like a physics experiment where we know some constant to the, say, uh, 20 digits below the decimal point. It's nothing like that. So it's an art. So uh, all these cryptographers, we try our best to provide the best estimate, the most accurate estimate we can come up with. But it's still an estimate. Therefore, uh, in selecting all these parameters, we tend to be on the conservative side. We want to make sure that the algorithm can remain secure, even facing some unknown attacks. Right. So some of the attacks we don't even know, but uh, we suspect there might be some risk there. And therefore, in order to defend against these unknown attacks, we want to, say, increase um, the key size a little bit. And we try to make uh, the algorithm a little bit more complicated here so that the probability of breaking it in the future will be decreased. That kind of risk management. That also means we pay a price when we uh, implement these algorithms, right? So this means that uh, compared with today's uh, public key crypto, like the one we're using today, literally, on every HTTPS transaction, these PQC algorithms tend to have much larger keys or much larger uh, ciphertext. Ciphertext is the message after encrypted. So this brings challenges to implementers. So because now instead of dealing with a tiny key or a tiny uh, message, now we need to suddenly deal with gigantic uh, uh, ciphertext. Uh, that's very challenging. We'd like to use these PQC, these new PQC algorithms to secure all kinds of devices, including your refrigerator, which doesn't have a lot of computing power. That's also why we work uh, with eTree closely. We would like to develop some efficient hardware accelerators so that we can use PQC to protect the information security, even on small devices. So you mentioned BTQ's newly established partnership with eTree. What is eTree bringing to the table in this collaboration that will ultimately benefit the company's development of its products? 
E-Tree, as we all know, that it's one of the powerhouse behind Taiwan's semiconductor industry. For example, E-Tree was an investor of uh, TSMC, one of the most important semiconductor companies in the world, actually. They also conduct a lot of uh, industry-level oriented research, meaning that they not only focus on theoretical research, they want to bring this research and, and have an impact on real products. Of course, we're also working on this direction, but our expertise is more on the software side, on the algorithm side. We don't have so much expertise on hardware. So that's why we're teaming up with eTree, hoping to leverage their research capability, their research resource, so we can implement uh, some of these uh, algorithms and also some of other uh, new ideas that we're developing in-house together with eTree using their uh, latest semiconductor technology. And together, we hope we can bring the best solution to our customers. For example, when it comes to uh, energy efficiency, we certainly would like to bring this down to a level as low as possible so we can run this again on my refrigerator, for example. That's one of the benefits. That's one of the goals that we'd like to achieve uh, when we partner with uh, eTree. And there's another angle. Um, again, uh, we are a small startup. Sometimes it's quite difficult for us to attract talents. Maybe I should say that our research effort actually spans uh, several angles, several fields. So we have cryptographers, we have algorithmic aspect, we have a software development angle. Uh, we also have a hardware kind of a business plan. Sometimes it's really challenging to attract hardware talents because they like to work with, um, for example, at uh, a company like MediaTek or TSMC who are really focusing on hardware, nothing else. So by working with eTree, we can leverage their existing talents. And also, hopefully, if our project goes well, you know, if it's successful, then we can also send a message to the talent pool, to the people who are looking for jobs, that, that we're doing something interesting, you know, that may fall within your area of expertise. So come and work with us, that kind of message. Great. So I'd like to move on to questions specifically about Taiwan and its cybersecurity. So as we both know, Taiwan and its tech industry face an increasing number of cyber threats, many with the potential to severely disrupt business operations in Taiwan's economy. So what advantages would adopting PQC bring to Taiwan in this regard? So it used to be the case that when it comes to cybersecurity, we think of this uh, firewall model. So we think of building a firewall around, say, our premise Anything outside is considered untrusted, potentially dangerous. But everyone inside is kind of, you know, one of us. So we don't worry so much about them. And that worked well for a while. And it's also easy to understand. But unfortunately, from history, we know that building wall never works. So <laughs> I don't know whether I should joke about this, but, you know, President Trump tried it. Yeah, he might disagree with you. He might. But if you look at the Chinese history, the Chinese, they've been building this giant wall, right? This long wall on the northern border. That didn't work. We knew that from history. So for cybersecurity in the cyberspace, building war may work for a while. And then, you know, the hackers, they got better and better. Eventually, they will penetrate. Once they got inside, it's a paradise for them. So cryptographers, in general, we, we have a different mindset. Sometimes we say this is a zero trust mindset. So anything that we don't trust, even it's inside firewall, we say that, okay, you have to prove that you have the authorization to carry out whatever you want to do, right? So I think that requires a lot of crypto. And in this era, I think we need a PQC. We need a 
not only crypto, but crypto that can resist quantum computers attack. So I think that's one benefit PQC can bring to kind of mitigate all these uh, cyber threats, all these uh, risks. And my last question for you is, are there currently any opportunities for Taiwan to cooperate with partners in the U.S. and other countries to further develop and bolster its PQC capabilities? Certainly, there's a lot of work to do. I mean, we have all these language barrier. We have all these cultural barrier. We have geographic barrier, especially in this pandemic time. So it's difficult to travel, but it's also an opportunity. So I think more and more people are getting used to remote work, right? Video conferencing. So, for example, we have a team spread around the globe. That's how we work on a daily basis. So, I think、uh, that's really something I like to promote from、uh, my own experience. I think that really works. That's a great way to work together, and that's also a great way to team up with talents all around the world and create better solutions. Great positive note to end on. We're coming up to the end of our time here on the podcast, but I'd just like to thank you again, Dunmo, for sharing your insights regarding PQC and its importance to the future of cybersecurity and Web three. I'd also like to alert listeners to the fact that BTQ is currently hiring for their office in Taipei. If you'd like to learn more about the company and their current openings, you can visit their website at btq.li. That's btq.li. You can also get the latest updates on the company by following their accounts on Twitter and LinkedIn, or by subscribing to their newsletter. Thanks again for tuning into today's show. We'll see you next week on Startup Island Taiwan. 